Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. So glad to have you for an hour and a half. That's 90 minutes of information that my broadcast partners are going to bring to the broadcast table, helping you to understand current events in light of biblical prophecy. By the way, that's the banner over my website. Our website, prophecytoday.com, offers many services, and that is one of them. Ken Timmerman is standing by. We're going to be talking with Ken about geopolitical events. Then in the next half hour, Winky Madad will begin that half hour talking about the cable car that will go from the airport all the way to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So somebody can get on an airplane over there in New York City and fly all the way almost to the Temple Mount, take a cable car, be up there when they have to go to the temple. And that is, of course, the times when they have those pilgrim feasts, and that would be the Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Very interesting development Winky Madad's going to weigh in on that momentarily, with all of our other broadcast partners standing by as well. Hey, we're home. We're at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Judy and I up north freezing to death. We come back to Chattanooga, and we freeze to death here. I wonder how it is with old Ken Timmerman, the rascal down there in northern Florida. We'll take, check in with him in a moment. But I want to tell you, this weekend we'll be at the Barryton Baptist Church. It's located in Somerville, Georgia. Mickey Skates is the pastor. We're going to look forward to the time of teaching the prophetic word of God all day Sunday, then Monday and Tuesday evenings. First service on Sunday morning at 10 a.m., worship service at 10.50, and then prophecy Q&A at 5, 6 o'clock on Sunday, and we'll have our teaching service. Then Monday and Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Come join us at the Barryton Baptist Church in Somerville, Georgia. Ken, I've got to ask, how's the weather down there in Florida? We're freezing here. Uh, Jimmy, you know, it's around 75 and nice. Oh. What can I tell you? <laughs> you rascal. Well, I tell you, you travel all over Lebanon, all over northern Iraq, and all the other places you go in the world. I guess you deserve some of that. I, I hope so. I, I really do, because you you don't know where I go sometimes, and <laughs> where I sleep, and what it's like. Yes, I can imagine, and we're so thrilled that you're available to us to be able to give us the insight like you do. Well, let's begin as it relates to current events. Looks like the United States is racing Russia, actually. I couldn't hardly think that what I was saying is correct. They're racing Russia for a military position there in northeast Syria and a new air base located there. We've been talking about northern Syria for a couple of weeks now. What do we know about this race? Well, Jimmy, what's actually happening on the ground in northern Syria is significantly different from what you're hearing in most of the national media in the United States who are talking about the U.S. betraying the Kurds, the U.S. pulling out of Syria, the U.S. abandoning all of our interests. And it's just not true. The president has made very clear, President Trump made very clear, we would remain in Syria to protect the oil and to make sure that the Kurds in northern Syria could still benefit from the sale of that oil. That is how they will finance their own defense against ISIS and against Turkey. Now, we are still joined with them in the battle against ISIS, and that's where this story with Russia becomes important. The Russians have moved up into northern Syria, 
along with the Turks, to jointly patrol that border. They are essentially replacing us. Uh, by the way, we are not paying the Russians to do this. And when the Russians take casualties, their casualties will be flown home to Moscow, not to Andrews Air Force Base in the United States. That, I think, is a very significant gain for us in the region. But the Russians also are trying to set up an air base to support uh, helicopters in northern Syria. That is actually a fairly understandable thing to do, but they're trying to gain these former U.S. positions. Right now, American troops are reinforcing our positions in the southern part, the southeastern part of Syria, in other words, close to the Jordan-Iraq border. That's where the oil fields are, but also at that key piece of the land bridge that the Iranians have been trying to establish. Uh, They opened it up three years ago, but the U.S. is now pretty much controlling traffic across that. So, uh, yes, Russia is moving into northern Syria, and yes, they're trying to uh, race us for control of certain air bases and and military bases up there, but uh, the United States are going to keep a pretty significant uh, presence there. Folks, I hope you heard what Ken said at the very outset of his response to my question that most of the media today is not covering this story like we are. We're giving you the truth and actually what is happening. Well, you spoke of Iran just for a moment there. What about Prime Minister Netanyahu making the statement that Iran is a threat not only to the Jewish state of Israel, but the entire world? I mean, he told them it's time to wake up. They had better wake up, hadn't they? Well, the big story this week is that the Iranians announced quite publicly that they were now violating just about the last provision of the failed 2015 Iran nuclear deal that they were still respecting. Uh, And that is, they uh, have started up their underground fortified enrichment facility at Fordo. It's in a mountain uh, where they have four cascades of uh, uranium enrichment centrifuges. And on uh, Thursday, they started to feed uh, uranium hexafluoride gas into them. And it's by the spinning of those centrifuges that the gas becomes enriched, right? That it, uh, and, and ultimately can be enriched to uh, 20% and then up to weapons grade, 93%. That was acknowledged and admitted by the International Atomic Energy Agency. They made an official finding that this happened, and that in turn is what caused Prime Minister Netanyahu to say, okay, uh, Europe, uh, quit stalling and take action. Stand up. Everything that we have found through espionage, remember Israel conducted some pretty uh, brassy uh, infiltrations of Iran's nuclear program last year and the year before. They found two secret warehouses full of uh, documents and equipment that showed without any uh, ambiguity that Iran continued to pursue nuclear weapons development, not a civilian nuclear program. So Netanyahu is saying, look, wake up wake up, the Iranians are headed towards a nuclear weapons capability. It's time for action. And Ken, I thought it was very interesting that Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, said that Iran positioning itself right now for a a very rapid nuclear breakout. They are ready to go with a bomb, it seems, very soon now. And so here we are, Jimmy, three years into the Trump administration. Look how different this is from under Obama. Under Obama, you would have the Secretary of State blasting Israel for daring to make such a comment. They would be criticizing Israel. Now we have a Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, and a president 
who are standing side by side with Israel, they recognize the threat that this Iranian move represents, not just for Israel, but for the world altogether. This is a move towards nuclear breakout. That's what the Secretary of State said. That's an extraordinarily uh, important thing. It's significant. These are, co- this, these are charged uh, words. They have a very specific meaning. Nuclear breakout means that Iran could uh, all of a sudden break out of the nonproliferation treaty, which is legal. They can declare they're going to leave it. And within weeks, reemerge with a small arsenal of nuclear weapons. That's what people have been fearing for many, many years. And now we have the Secretary of State of the United States of America saying that this is indeed a real possibility. Yes, and everybody had better wake up, like Netanyahu said. You know, Ken, uh, speaking of the activities with Iran and what's going on, and especially the anti-corruption protests going on in Iraq, looks like Hamas that terrorist organization out of the Gaza Strip. Hamas is joining Iran's plan to foil the Arab anti-corruption protests that are happening. What do we know? Well, this is uh, (laughs) quite an extraordinary development. Uh, The Iranians are now sending the Revolutionary Guard into Lebanon and into uh, Iraq uh, to not just to face Israel or to do, you know, terrorist uh, operations, uh, they are sending them there to put down protesters, to shoot protesters. <laughs> in the past couple of weeks, uh, the Iranians have been using snipers on the roofs in Baghdad to kill protesters. They've murdered about 250 of them so far. This is exactly what they did during the protests in 2009 and what they've been doing since, uh, actually since 2017 as well, in the latest wave of protests. Uh, and Hamas is joining them in this. Uh, Hamas is now reasserting its close alliance with Iran. Remember, this has been at times a difficult alliance, but they are now backed solidly in the Iranian camp against their Arab brothers in both Lebanon and in uh, Iraq. It's quite extraordinary to see this happen. Let me change the subject just a little bit. We've only got about 30 seconds, Ken. China, not Iran, seems to be the real reason the United States will never leave Iraq. China wants to get involved. What do we know up there? Well, I don't know if that's the reason that we won't leave Iraq, but it's certainly true that China is reasserting a long-standing relationship it's held with Iraq. Remember, they were a big supplier to Saddam Hussein of weapons during the Iran-Iraq War. That's 30 years ago. And today they're getting back in there, developing oil fields, doing other development projects, and uh, selling weapons to the new Iraqi government. Uh, Clearly, they're trying to have an economic but also strategic relationship with this government in Baghdad as it distances distances itself from us and cements its alliance with neighboring Iran. China is on the move, and that's according to the late news today, but also what God's Word says there in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, Kings of the East, China. Well, we'll stay on all of these stories with Ken Timmerman. He's the man who covers geopolitical activities for us. We're so grateful for his service to us. We thank him so much. Ken, thank you, buddy. We'll have another conversation next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update for us. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central Chattanooga, Tennessee. Finally got home from the north. We thought we'd get some warm weather, but as I was talking with Ken just a moment ago, you've got to go to Florida to really get warm weather. And that is not how we're going this time. We're actually going over to Somerville, Georgia, to Barrington Baptist Church. Mickey Skates over there is the pastor. He's going to invite everybody in that region to come study the prophetic word of God with us. We'll be doing that all day Sunday and then Monday and Tuesday evenings as well at 7 p.m. Love to have you come study the word. On Sunday, we start at 10 a.m., then the 10.50 service, and in the afternoon, 5 o'clock for Prophecy Q&A, 6 p.m. for the study of God's Word. By the way, Monday and Tuesday, we'll have some Prophecy Q&A at 6 p.m. Come join us. I love Prophecy Q&A. It's invigorating. You'll learn as you come and ask your question. Well, as promised, David Dolan comes to the broadcast table to give us his Middle East news update. And the first update we need, David, is how are you doing, buddy? How's the heart situation? Oh, thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Much better. Uh, My heart was racing like uh, horses last week, but uh, my doctor put me on some medication, and that's helped a lot, and things are more or less back to normal. But as you and I talked about before we began the conversation, we're both getting old. Uh, You're a little older than me, but I'm heading in the same direction, and (laughs) these sorts of things are more routine. But uh, thank the Lord, and thanks to everyone who prayed. Well, indeed, we want to thank everybody across our network who prayed for David Dolan, doing much, much better. Praise the Lord for that. David, let's begin with this 
information that we're getting from the news media there in Israel. Hamas has threatened to shower Israel with rockets for the next six months. Why this at this point in time, and is that going to cause any difference in the relationship? Well, Jimmy, Hamas also for the first time formally admitted this week that it is receiving substantial aid, as they put it, from Iran. The Islamic Jihad group also echoed that, but we've uh, had them say that before. Now, we've known that Iran has been backing Hamas for some years. Uh, They had a period where it sort of slowed down, but for the past few years it's been tight again. Um, Well, it may be a signal that Iran is planning an overall attack on Israel. We've been talking about that, of course. The Israeli government very concerned about signs that that may be in the works, uh, not only from the Gaza Strip, where Hamas and Islamic Jihad would presumably fire those rockets. Whether they have a six-month supply or not is anybody's guess, but they certainly have a lot. And after our broadcast last week, Jimmy, there were, I believe it was 10 rockets fired into southern Israel after a Palestinian died during Friday uh, rioting there. And again, this Friday, Jimmy, yesterday, there was more clashes along the uh, Gaza border fence. The Palestinians said around 60 people were wounded, including one Palestinian critically, so there may be another death, and if so, maybe more rockets fired. But uh, that just uh, reminds everybody in Israel this force is there. It's becoming stronger. They're getting more advanced rockets all the time and other weapons, and that remains a lethal force. Benny Gantz, the opposition leader, or at least uh, the man trying to become prime minister now, has called for a full military operation in Gaza, as have other uh, politicians saying uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's been too weak in his response to the ongoing violence from there. So certainly problems are brewing there. Well, talk to me about what the leadership of Hamas said. I understand they said without a government, Israel is powerless as it relates to the Gaza Strip. Is that part of uh, the uptick in activity by Hamas? Well, Jimmy, interestingly, on Friday, Prime Minister Netanyahu announced that uh, Naftali Bennett, the head of the New Right Party, would be defense minister. He was appointing him as defense minister. Bennett reportedly accepted that offer, even though uh, it's a temporary position. He said he understood until a new government is formed by whoever will form it. But it does show that uh, Netanyahu is taking those criticisms seriously and taking the threats from Hamas seriously and wants to demonstrate that Israel is still functioning, even with an interim government. Jimmy, this has been a caretaker government for 11 months now, so it's not a new thing. It's since the elections early this year that's been that way. Uh, Not quite 11 months, but it's going on that. And, Jimmy, it's just a serious situation. But Avi Dichter was named last week as deputy defense minister. He's a former head of the Shimbet Security Services. So Netanyahu, even in a temporary role, is strengthening the defense portfolios, and that should be a signal not only to Hamas, but certainly to Iran, Hezbollah, and Israel's other enemies. Speaking of Hamas, it's interesting. This week they decided not to allow a rally to go on which would commemorate Yasser Arafat there in the Gaza Strip. Boy, there's still that friction between Hamas and Fatah, isn't there? Very much so, Jimmy. I was on the Jordanian border actually coming back from a trip with you to see sites in Jordan when his body was being brought the other way from Judea and Samaria, from Ramallah into Jordan where he was flown up to Paris and other things. So this is another sign that that rift remains very, very deep. The PA was extremely distressed 
uh, that the uh, public rally was banned by Hamas in Gaza. And they said that they were also now questioning whether Abbas's call for new elections would go through, saying that uh, we don't believe they would be fair elections in Gaza under Hamas rule. They would try to make sure that the PA Palestinian Authority did not get the votes it deserved from Gaza. So, again, Jimmy, as we talk about peace, no peace even between the Palestinians themselves, let alone uh, with Israel. Let me flesh that out just a little bit more, if you will, David. Fatah and Hamas are the two factions of the body politic in the Palestinian area there in Israel. Fatah is up in Ramallah. That's where the Palestinian Authority, the PA, is located. Mahmoud Abbas, former number one lieutenant to Yasser Arafat, has that position. And he was elected for four years, maybe about 14 years ago, has not had any other election since then. And you're talking about the fact that the election needs to take place. I understand that Abbas is saying, hey, I'm not sure that I'm going to run. What do we know? Do you know if he's going to continue on to try to get in this election or is somebody else new coming? Well, Jimmy, uh, he's about the same age as you are, as we were discussing before we went on the air. We're both uh, moving up there. He's not a young man by any means. He would be a Bernie Sanders uh, age group and uh, not very popular and just, uh, he says, tired of the whole situation. So there may well be an internal fight in the Palestinian Authority, PLO, as as to who would be their candidate. So it's no, nothing is clear there. The elections are just a proposition that Abbas has made recently, but he's made that statement several times over the years. As you say, it was 2006 when they held their first and last elections for that Abbas won. So it's not going anywhere fast. Meanwhile, Jimmy, we hear that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu asked the United States to release $12 million to the Palestinian security forces because they are, for the most part, still cooperating with the Israelis in going after terrorists and maintaining law and order. But the Trump administration refused that request, we're hearing, saying, no, we've cut off all aid to the Palestinians. You asked us to do it, Bibi, and he really did, and we've done it, and we're not going to even help their security forces. So the Palestinians are in a mess. The Israelis do want to see some form of the peace accord, especially that security arrangement maintained, but that's in question as well. You know, it's so interesting. Today, we are focusing not on necessarily the Jewish aspect of the state of Israel, but today we're focusing on the Palestinians and both Hamas in the south and Fatah in the north. Fatah is, I would say, and you'll probably agree with me, David, Fatah is just as bad as a terrorist as Hamas would be. And in fact, they said this week, we're going to continue to defend our holy sites with all of our blood and souls. I mean, they're there in the fight to the end, aren't they? Well, they are, Jimmy, and uh, we discussed a couple months ago Abbas's uh, statement made at a rally near Ramallah that all the Jews need to be wiped out, uh, uh, thrown into the sea, that we're going to retake Jerusalem, all these sorts of statements that used to be made routinely before the peace agreement was signed in 1993, coming all back to the surface. Of course, in the meantime, we had 
Arafat leading the riots in 2000, the year 2000, the second Palestinian uprising. So it's a very, very cold piece of best. The only part working is that security arrangement, and the Israelis do value that, Jimmy, because if that falls entirely apart, then they'll have to go back into the Palestinian cities and enforce law and order. That means Israeli casualties. That's boots on the ground that they don't want to see uh, happen, but it may well revert to that the way the things are going. The Bible tells us that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is going to continue until the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes back. That's the little book of Obadiah, verses 15 to 18. David, it's so key that we have your Middle East news update every single week on this broadcast. Thank you so very much for all the information you give us from your vast experience. Really glad to do it, Jimmy, and God bless. I'm glad you're feeling better as well. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, I've got Winky Madad standing by. We're going to talk about a brand new cable car from the airport to the Temple Mount. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm at Broadcast Central, as I said about 15 minutes ago. We're here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, coming from the north, going south. Actually, we're not going to go too far south. We're going to go to Somerville, Georgia, at Barryton Baptist Church. We'll be there in Somerville all day Sunday, 10 o'clock, 10.50, and then at 6 in the evening, and on Monday and Tuesday at 7 p.m., each of the evening services with a prophecy Q&A prior to the service, about an hour before the service. That's Barrington Baptist Church, Somerville, Georgia. Hope to have you in this listening area. Come join us as we study Bible prophecy. I'm almost chuckling trying to keep from doing that because during the break time I was talking to Winky Madad. We call him, of course, in Shiloh, which has a great history, a biblical history dating back to the times when the Israelites came into the promised land. Uh, That's where they went. That's where they erected the tabernacle, where the Ark of the Covenant was located, I think about 350 years. But Winky Madad, our broadcast partner from there, is very interested in all of archaeology, of course, because of where his hometown is. Uh, That is key for his understanding. He went to a conference up at Tel Aviv University, and they were talking about 
about Kiryat Arim. Now, that's the location, if you study God's Word, where King David went out to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to Jerusalem about 3,000 years ago. And Winky, tell us what happened. Why haven't they been able to find anything else out about this archaeological site there at Kiryat Yearim? Kiryat Yearim. It's uh, just uh, west of Jerusalem. It's a very, very prominent hill that has a view going down almost to the coastline, uh, south to the Judean Hills, and uh, off towards Jerusalem. Uh, so it's always been a strategic hill, and uh, Yisrael Finkelstein has been digging there for the past three years now in order to discover all the layers, uh, what periods, uh, was it the Bronze, was it Iron Age, did it go through the Hasmonean, the Persian period, etc., etc. He only has one problem, though, his dig is not totally free of restriction, and he has to do only a little bit on the outside, because unlike many other sites, that are not built up on, he has a nunnery on top of his site. (laughs) And it took, I think he said, something like a year and a half or more in order for them to get permission from the Vatican even to do probes on the area outside the compound of uh, the nunnery. And even then, uh, he only has pictures because they had to refill it in again so that they wouldn't have people tramping all over the place and trying to see what wall and what crevice and what ceramics were in that site. And that's where King David went to get the ark, correct? That's right, to bring it into Jerusalem. Well, keep us posted on the nunnery and what they're going to do to allow them to do that archaeological dig there. Well, let's get down to serious business. There was an article in the Jerusalem Post this week talking about a very controversial cable car. And this cable car was going to reach into uh, the Western Wall Plaza and hoping ultimately to get up onto the Temple Mount. Talk, talk to us about this cable car, the controversy of it. Well, uh, it's controversial because a, a, a small group of people don't like it. So I guess that's where the idea that it's controversial comes from. But let's take ourselves back just a little bit. The Western Wall and the Temple Mount, have literally over millions of people coming to visit it together all around the year. Besides the Israel Museum in Yad Vashem, it's probably the most visited site in Israel. It is very difficult to get to once you pass the age of 50, because Mm. uh, the bus service to get into the old city, or taxis even, uh, buses can't get in, And so what happens is people have to be left out by the gates and sort of walk in. And you've been there dozens of times, Jimmy. You know that it's uh, steps leading down. It's very crowded. And it's not the best way to get for a site where you get hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, And so they came up with this idea because Israel is building a whole new transit system. You'll be able to get off your plane at Ben-Gurion Airport, and within 20 minutes, you're in Jerusalem with the mm. high-speed train. Wow. And what they want to do is connect from the entrance of Jerusalem three more stops, and you're basically at the gates of the old city. But you're still left with getting into the old city, so they came up with an idea 
I call it the advanced ski lift, <laughs> um, and uh, that's uh, the situation. Will you be able then to, let's say I was in New York, fly from New York to Ben-Gurion Airport, get on the cable car, and ultimately land right there at the Western Wall Plaza to offer your prayer? Well, once you get off the plane and you get out, uh, as I said, probably between 20 and 25 minutes to get to Jerusalem, say another 10 minutes to get to where the cable car is going to be, which is right next to the Menachem Begin Heritage Center, by the way. You know, on that hill yes. opposite the Mount Zion Hotel. Uh-huh. I think it's called the Hill of the, the Bible Hill or something like that in, in English. I'm not quite sure. And then it'll swing around Mount Zion and end up at, what, another five minutes or so. And then you're right at the entrance of the Western Wall or go up into the Temple Mount or whatever. Those of you listening to us may remember that there are three pilgrim feast days that the Jewish people have to go up to Jerusalem, make Aliyah, and that would be the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. That'll make that very much easier for the Jewish people, the Orthodox Jewish people, to follow through with the biblical command. I understand it carries about 3,000 people per hour. They can really move a lot of people, and when will it probably be up and operating? Well, first of all, we'll have to see if these opposition groups uh, go to court to try to stymie the efforts. Their main complaint is basically, for public consumption, is that it'll destroy the, the, the view. That's a really bit ridiculous because we can go back 100 years when the first trains came into Jerusalem, and probably someone said it's just, just disturbing. When the first big highway was built, it probably said it was disturbing and blocking the view, and everything blocks the view. However, the whole idea is to get uh, to, I could even say with tongue-in-cheek, Jimmy, uh, that the Dome of the Rock is, is blocking my view, but we <laughs> won't go that far. Uh, what I really want to get out is these groups are mainly left-wing, anti-Israel being across the green line. They want to say that this cable car will seal or cement the complete unification of Jerusalem by extending into what they call East Jerusalem a major, for all intents and purposes, a transportation uh, artery. That's really the root of what they're uh, getting at. I mean, uh, these things going around Mount Zion Hill is not going to destroy any view that I think is relevant. In any case, you know the topography as well as anybody. It's not going to be above Mount Zion. It's going around the side where the cemeteries are Mm -hmm. and then come down uh, into the uh, Dungate area. There's nothing to view from there. It's, it'll be very close to the, the hillside, and it won't be a thousand feet up in the air, so you can't take a picture of the clouds. Yeah. That's, uh, and so that's the situation. Well, that's a great situation because it will relieve the traffic around the old city of Jerusalem and those eager to go up to the Western Wall Plaza, and then ultimately some of them able to go up on to the Temple Mount. Well, I'm just about finished with our conversation, Winky, but can you give me a quick update on the election? We keep watching that. How is it uh, developing? Anything looking good for either side to form a coalition government? Well, they've been negotiating, I think, again. Uh, Someone came up with a bit of a crazy idea, Uh, to pass a quick law for the direct election of the prime minister. And that way we'll solve the problem, who is it going to be Netanyahu or is it going to be Gantz? 
but not too many people are very happy about that because the last time they had direct direct elections in 92, it literally destroyed the parliamentary balance because while it elected a, a, a prime minister, it, it destroyed the coalition possibility because the parties all broke up into multiple parties much more than they normally do. So at this moment in time that we're talking, Jimmy, I cannot give you any good news that's gone uh, to be decided this way or that way. And I want to tell you, my dear friend, if you'll keep listening to Prophecy Today weekend, we will have Winky Madad come back and give us the latest on the election and give us the latest on the nunnery at Kiryat Yarim. Well, stay on top of that story with Winky Madad. Winky, thank you so very much. A lot of fun having our conversation today. We'll have another one real soon. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on the program, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Very important conversation about the cable car to the Western Wall. Winky Madad giving us that insight. It'll be a way for a Jewish person, say, in New York City to get on a plane, fly to Ben-Gurion Airport, get into the cable car and go directly to the Western Wall Plaza. Very, very interesting development. We'll stay on top of that story with Winky Madad. Right now, we're changing regions of the world. A key region is the European Union, and it is what everybody seems to think, the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. I believe that. I think John Rood, my broadcast partner, believes that as well. And we'll maybe talk about that in just a moment, but let me kick it off with what Prime Minister Netanyahu said this week, John. He said that Iran is a threat not only to Israel, but to the entire world, and that uh, the world had better wake up. Is Europe awake as it relates to the threat of Iran? Prime Minister Netanyahu made a special message very recently and he spoke, actually spoke directly to Europe in the speech. Not only Iran is a threat to the whole world and it's time to wake up, but directly to European Union, you must stop stalling and must act against the Iranian aggression now. They've been very passive towards Iran, as we know. So this is continuation of Iran hiding its secret nuclear weapons program bringing aggression to the Middle East. And so it's a direct call to Europe to take a stronger stand. Very interesting development with the Europeans as it relates to the act of waking up to what the Iranians are doing and the threat they are to the world. But at the same time, the European Union condemning the rocket fire that's coming out of Gaza going into Israel, they say this must stop. That's a great sign coming out of the European Union. The European Union has condemned the recent uh, rocket fire, and such attacks have many repercussions in the region for the defense and for the funding. The European Union likes to see themselves more and more as a power broker in the Middle East. I think we would be seeing more and more of these types of involvements. Of course, uh, coming out and directly claiming the responsibilities and so forth, Prime Minister Netanyahu would certainly say Hamas is responsible. I don't know how far the European Union goes, but they are condemning some of the terrorist attacks, and as you say, is a good sign. 
Good sign. Very, very good sign. Talk to me about the Ukraine, if you will. The Ukraine is between the European Union and Russia. There's also been thought about the fact that the Ukraine could join the European Union. But now they're really serious about joining NATO. And there are those who think this would cause real danger in the area of the entire European Union and Russia, if that was to happen. What do you know about that? There's some history involved between Ukraine and NATO. We're in a period right now, as you know, the U.S.-Russian relations are becoming more and more precarious. Ukrainian membership in NATO, Russia would certainly uh, perceive as a direct provocation. There's even talk saying that it would draw closer to a nuclear war. I would say we're probably closer to a nuclear war in many regards throughout history than sometimes we've realized. But as I said, Ukraine has a track record, NATO membership action plan. They joined in 2008, but they withdrew from that in 2010. And then just earlier this year, the Ukrainian parliament voted overwhelmingly to change the constitution to a form that would help them join NATO and the European Union. So uh, Ukraine is very sensitive to Russia, and uh, there is an offer to join NATO. We would have to monitor and see how that would develop, but it would be an enormous step for that region and the alignment to be official with those organizations. So then, John, you believe that if the Ukraine was allowed to join NATO, and they did move ahead with that, that it would be very good for the entire region. Well, as long as things would be able to be held down, I would say most likely Russia would make a great deal of noise about such a, uh, an agreement. Hopefully nothing would get too hot in the region over it. But Ukraine right now is a very center, and European Union doesn't quite know how to deal with countries to join that they're not in necessarily in position to control and the russian influence of course completely surrounds ukraine we'll have to see if they'll be able to to join nato but it would cause an enormous response from russia yes john absolutely because the nato organization was brought into existence to protect the european union from russia well one more thing about nato seems like the president of france macron says that NATO alliance is experienced brain dead. What is that all about? Right. Well, uh, President Macron of France he's, has been a bit vocal, as we know, these recent several months, that he's actually came out and naming NATO, saying they're brain dead. The German chancellor completely disagreed and said these were absolutely drastic words. And then back to Russia, they welcomed and said it was very truthful words. Well, it's a... I would say it's unwise words to go ahead and say such things. Article 5 of NATO is the promise that if one member is attacked, then there would be a collective response from the alliance. And then President Macron responded, is that still valid? And he says, I don't know. Hmm. Well, that's the very center of NATO. And then we have 29 nations in NATO, North American and European nations. Maybe we're not totally aware but Albania and Croatia, they joined in 2009. Montenegro, I've been there. They joined in 2017. 
Of course, Turkey is a full member. And so we see that there is a condition now very, very expansive into Eastern Europe and the Balkan Peninsula that we see there. Would there be a commitment to protect those particular nations? French president coming out, taking a stand, saying he doesn't know. That's the shaky thing. It's not what the United States is doing concerning the funding and the involvement. It would be more these type of statements that are coming out of France. And the French leader is pushing for the European Union to become more of a geopolitical power. This is something certainly along our trends. Yes, and we'll continue to watch this because NATO plays a key role in that region of the world, what's going on, setting this stage actually for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. John, thank you so very much. Appreciate the report. We'll talk again next week. Yes, we'll look forward to it. Thank you. Well, there's a, another key location on the map in the world, and one of the seven wonders of the world, a place called Petra that is key to Bible prophecy as well. And we're going to Petra in Jordan right now to talk with Jim Jr. He's the oldest of our two sons, Jim Jr. and Rick. They're leading tours throughout the land of the Bible over into Jordan, stayed on the Dead Sea at a beautiful hotel. And now they're going into Petra. Jim, as it relates to a tour to the land of the Bible, a visit to Jordan and Petra is just top of the drawer, isn't it? It sure is, Dad. When you go there, you get to see the Red Rock City of Petra, 25 square miles, the mile-long Sikh walking in, the carvings that were done by the Nabataeans, and learn about the history of the Edomites that lived there, the Nabataeans, and, of course, the Romans that came in and settled that area. There's a lot of history in the city of Petra. Yes, there is, and it's a beautiful city, the multicolored city as the sun moves across the sky. All the different colors on the walls of the city change. It's just just amazingly beautiful. By the way, Esau himself was told to go to Mount Seir. Now, that's 36th chapter of the book of Genesis, Mount Seir, which is Edom today and where Petra is located, Petra headquarters for the Palestinian people. Jimmy, you know, I'm just excited about all that you're doing, and your mother's just beating me because she was not able to go on the trip with you. And Rick, we're going to have to make certain we next year are going to be on one of those tours with the people that will be headed out to the lands of the Bible there with you and Rick, and then Mom and I will come along as well. But I understand, Jim, that you're writing a book right now. You have to work on your Ph.D. in eschatology, and so you're going to make it very practical. You're going to do somewhat of a manual on how to do a tour to Israel. Are you going to cover everything from the beginning? In other words, how to put the tour together, how to get your airline flight, and how to get your ground operation in the land? All of that going to be included in the book? Sure is. After we've been doing tours for 25 years, Dad, we've done everything from large tours to now we're doing very special privatized VIP tours for groups of people. And we've seen pastors come here over the years and then bring back groups. But there nowadays, people um, don't want to go with the big mega tours, and people would like to go with the pastor of their church, and pastors would like to take groups to Israel. Of course, we would love to bring 
pastors here, and we feel like we give a great trip. And I'm putting together a book that will help pastors to understand where to do it, how to do it, what to teach, and where to teach uh, what they're going to teach, and go to the land of the Bible from A to Z, putting it all together so that there would be no problem for them that they would be able to bring their congregations here to the land of Israel. Well, and let me emphasize what you just said. We would love to be the ones who would take you on a tour of the Bible, both the state of Israel, over into Jordan, into Turkey, into Rome, all of these locations key for your understanding of biblical history and biblical prophecy as well. But we want to make sure, Jim, do we not, that everybody gets to go. If they can't not put it together with us, we can't work the dates or whatever, uh, we want them to see if they can put their own tour together and go and be able to have a great time. And, and in your book, I understand you're going to be doing all the teaching. It will be included in your book. So the pastor just simply goes, opens up the book, and there everything is for him. That's so true, Dad. You know, Going to the land of the Bible is so very important, and studying your Bible it gives you an understanding of biblical phrases like going up to Jerusalem, uh, understanding of the names of the Bible and what they look like, like Capernaum. If you've never seen it, sometimes in our minds we come up with ideas and uh, visions of, of something that relates to where we live, but not necessarily what it looks like in the land of the Bible. Here, this will help pastors... Um, as they see the land, know what to teach in that spot, how it fits into God's plan for the Jewish people, how he used that land in teaching the Jewish people over the centuries and even still in the future, teaching them his plan for the program for all of humankind. Well, now, you've got them over there, either in Israel or Jordan. You're going to get them back, too. The book going to have some information as to how to return back home and then start that all over again, have uh, some meetings with the people you took the first time, and then get another group, right? Sure. We're going to put everything in there from A to Z, how to do it from the beginning of a trip, how to put it all together, and then when they bring it back to the United States or wherever they go back to, that they'll be able to help people to realize what they just saw. You know, sometimes our people come here and say, man, it's uh, there's so much overload. I cannot retain everything I've seen. We're going to give them some information and instruction on how they can help people to realize what they just witnessed and went through and how they how it will help them to really to study their Bible in the future. Well, you know, and uh, the fact is there may be some that want to come back with us. We have a couple of couples who have traveled six times with us over into Israel. They just never get enough of it. I think this is going to be an excellent book. It's going to be a great manual, a how-to book to take a trip, why you should take it, and how to go about putting it all together. It's an amazing experience, Jim. You know, your mother and I, we started the tours to Israel, and then you came along. You lived in the land of Israel for about a year. You started joining us and doing these tours. That is so exciting, isn't it, to just watch the faces of the people, to hear what they have to say after we introduce them to the actual places where Jesus walked when he was here ministering on earth. I like the aha moments when uh, <laughs> people are listening to you teach something that they've listened to their whole lifetime sometimes, and then all of a sudden when they make the connection, uh, for instance, uh, at a location and, and how it relates 
to something that they've learned and finally they see it in person. Yes, sir, I do love those moments where people, uh, where the light comes on in their eye and goes, I get it now. I get why Jesus said what he said. Yes, I love that part, and that's the part I basically miss the most is serving the people. That's what we're going to be doing if we take the tour, and then Jimmy's making available a service, a manual on how to do your own tour. All the steps you follow will make it a very successful tour for you. I understand when you're finished in Petra, you'll put the people on a plane to come back home, but then you have a cruise ship coming in to, I think it's Haifa. You're going to pick them up for a couple of days and show them as much as you possibly can as well. Is that correct? We are. We have a cruise that will come in two days here in Israel. I'll be doing the teaching first day in the south in the Jerusalem area, the second day up in the Galilee region. And uh, we have a cruise ourselves going next September, and we would love for people to go with us. Oh, just happened to have that available, did you? <laughs> well, that's great. You can go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel. When you get to Joshua Travel, you'll find out all the different tours that we have to the lands of the Bible, and then the cruise that Jimmy was referring to, information about that as well. That'll be a fun trip coming out of Rome and going all the way to the area of Turkey and the seven churches of Asia Minor. Well, you and Rick have a safe journey home. Give greetings to everybody. Tell them we're sorry we missed them. We'd love to have been with them. And you guys will be praying for you for a safe journey back home. We'll do that, Dad, and we invite all that are listening to our programs that would love to see the land of the Bible to come and go with us. Great conversation with our oldest boy, Jim Jr. He and his brother, Rick, on the tour, taking people today into Petra. We're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, we have David James in a conversation with me. We'll focus on John Hagee. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're moving into the last third of our broadcast. This half hour will give you a complete 90 minutes of information. We ask for that at the beginning. Thank you for following along and obeying what we ask you to do. All of our broadcast partners giving information, details behind all of these current event headlines that we have been talking about. Going to go from here over to Somerville, Georgia, the Barrington Baptist Church. Mickey Skates is the pastor there. I'd love to invite you to come join us all day on Sunday, 10 a.m. and 10.50 a.m. in the morning. In the evening, 5 o'clock for Prophecy Q&A, 6 p.m. for the teaching service. And then on Monday and Tuesday, 6 o'clock for Prophecy Q&A, 7 o'clock we'll be teaching God's Word. Come join us at the Prophecy Conference in Barryton Baptist Church, Somerville, Georgia. Here's our poll question for today. With Hamas in the Gaza Strip threatening to bomb Israel for the next six months, do you believe that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that is foretold in Ezekiel 35, Malachi chapter 1, and Obadiah, that that conflict is moving toward total elimination of the Palestinian people, that conflict finally to be fulfilled? 
Go to my website, answer the poll question. Would appreciate if you'd do that. And take note of my School of Prophets information. It's on my website. That will be December the 2nd through the 5th here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. David James teaching God's plan through the ages. I'll be teaching my third part of prophecy through the Bible, prophecy in every book of the Bible. Now, if you want more information, all the details, how to register, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James here at the broadcast table. We have an issue we want to discuss with the body of Christ, the church and Christians across the nation and around the world that are listening to our broadcast today. We're going to focus on John Hagee's recent comments concerning converting Jews. David, the Jerusalem Post ran an article that focused on John Hagee and his organization, Christians United for Israel. Now, that article was basically an interview, and it talked about, and there was a very interesting statement from John Hagee about converting Jews, and it's caused me to have much concern. I passed along this article to you, and you had the same type of concern. Uh, but before we get into the concerns we have, could you give us a little bit of a background concerning John Hagee's organization? Sure. Well, Christians United for Israel was actually originally established in 1975 by a man named Dr. David Lewis, and it was a result of a prayer demonstration that he led in front of the White House, and uh, some in that group of about 100 clergy were carrying a banner proclaiming they were Christians united for the biblical right of Israel to her land, and as a result, they ended up meeting with President Gerald Ford's top advisor to the Middle East for over an hour. Then some 30 years later, in 2006, John Hagee asked permission from Dr. Lewis to use the name, and so he revived and incorporated the organization with the support of over 400 Christian leaders. Now, uh, Dr. Lewis did have some concerns about Hagee's theology, so it has caused some controversy in the past. So today, CUFI claims a constituency of over 6 million members, and its stated purpose is, quote, to provide a national association through which every pro-Israel church, para-organization, ministry, or individual in America can speak and act with one voice in support of Israel in matters related to biblical issues. Then on their website, they say this, uh, that CUFI has played a leading role in efforts to curb Iran's nuclear ambitions, hinder Hezbollah and Hamas, their war on terror against Israel, strengthen the Jewish state's ability to defend itself and defend Israel against the anti-Semitic BDS movement. And uh, one of the main events that it's known for is Nights to Honor Israel that it hosts across the country each year. You know, that's a great background report. David Lewis was a friend of mine, and I knew that he had started the organization a long time ago. John Hagee took it over. Well, let's return now to that Jerusalem Post article that I mentioned just a moment ago. And let me quote from John Hagee's answer to one of the questions. He says, Many members of the Jewish community come to understand that we do not seek to convert them. Uh, let's take a moment, and could you provide some more context and some background to this particular statement? So for the background, the reason we're concerned about this statement is because, at least on the surface, 
he seems to suggest what is known as dual covenant theology, which says that because the Jews are God's chosen people, they can be saved by being faithful to the Mosaic covenant rather than needing to hear, understand, and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And concerning the context, Pastor Hagee was asked by the interviewer the following question, how did you decide when you started CUFI to set aside theological differences with Jews and focus on what you have in common to start a revolution in Christian-Jewish relations, and Pastor Hagee responded with this, I think the Jewish community has understandably been leery of Christians rather suddenly offering them unconditional love, but over time I've seen many members of the Jewish community come to understand that we do not seek to convert them, nor to impose our personal political beliefs on the leaders of Israel. Then he makes a statement a couple of sentences later that is of great concern. It is good for brothers and sisters to sit together in mutual love and respect, and we have made great progress in making that the reality in the United States. So I would say this, that the apparent reference to both Jews and Christians and brothers and sisters is something that is normally used by evangelicals to only refer to those who are born again through the gospel. You know, that is the great concern that I have after I read this interview and sent it along to you. I know that I was concerned. I wanted you to evaluate what I was reading. Was I thinking right? You know, some may think that this may have been a simple misstatement or that we're not understanding actually what he meant. But he then said the same thing again, and I think you just mentioned that toward the end of the interview, didn't he? Well, what I just said was actually not the statement at the end of the interview. At the end of the interview, he you could say he actually doubled down and was even more clear. So the last question in the article was, what are your hopes for Israel's future, to which Pastor Hagee responded, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I pray Israel continues to thrive, and I pray that Jews and Christians will walk together as spiritual brothers and sisters for all time. And, you know, I guess I tend to have my antenna up when I hear someone say something like this because of my experience with what's been happening with evangelicals and Catholics over the last 25 years or so. Back in 1994, a group of evangelical and Roman Catholic leaders and theologians produced a document called Evangelicals and Catholics Together. And early in the document, they wrote, We together, evangelicals and Catholics, confess our sins against the unity that Christ intends for all his disciples. Later on, they wrote, all who accept Christ as Lord and Savior are brothers and sisters in Christ. Then he makes the, they make the blanket statement, evangelicals and Catholics are brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's the same language, speaking about two large groups of people with broad brushstrokes, as if they're spiritual brothers and sisters with no regard for what the Bible actually has to say about the issue. Well, I've got to tell you this, David, after hearing this, I do believe we need to go back to the Bible to respond to this particular issue, especially for anyone who might wonder if the Jewish people can be saved apart from a personal trust in relationship with Jesus Christ. I agree. So when I start dealing with this issue, I start in Romans chapter 1, where Paul in verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek, or for the Gentiles. Then I go to chapter 9, where he starts out by saying, I tell the truth in Christ, I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself 
were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Then I move to chapter 10, where he says in verse 1, Brethren, my harsh desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Then moving down to verse 9, Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in verse 12, he makes a very interesting statement in the middle of this. He says, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. Verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the point is this, I think. If there were ever a group at any time in history since the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, who could be saved apart from hearing, understanding, and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would have been the Jews of the first century. So if the Gentiles needed to hear, the Jews also needed to hear, and if the Jews needed to hear, so did the, the Gentiles. So that's the gist of Paul's argument. David, I think we need to go back to the question of John Hagee holding what I would consider a dual covenant theology. You might want to explain that just for a moment. But this is not a new issue. It goes back a long time, decades. In fact, I can remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, I read an article, an interview with John Hagee in a Houston newspaper. You might have been able to find that. Uh, But I had real concerns at that time. I still have those same concerns. What about you? Well, I agree. And just a reminder to our listeners, dual covenant theology means that God has one covenant for the Gentiles through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that the Mosaic covenant is a means of salvation for Jews if they are faithful to that. One problem is that the Mosaic law was never, ever given as a means of salvation. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. But going back to another Jerusalem Post article, this one from 2006, both John Hagee and Jerry Falwell denied that they embrace or teach dual covenant theology. So this became a huge issue back at that time. But I did find that Houston Chronicle uh, newspaper article. It's actually from April 30th, 1988, in which Pastor Hagee said the following in an interview, I'm not trying to convert the Jewish people to the Christian faith. There is nothing in the night to honor Israel that does that. He went on to say, in fact, trying to convert Jews is a waste of time. The Jewish person who has his roots in Judaism is not going to convert to Christianity. There's no form of Christian evangelism that has failed so miserably as evangelizing the Jewish people. They already have a faith structure. Then he said, I believe that every Gentile person can only come to God through the cross of Christ. I believe that every Jewish person who lives in light of the Torah, which is the Word of God, has a relationship with God and will come to redemption. That is something that is consistent with the recent article in the Jerusalem Post as well. You know, David, I think that was the article that I actually read way back there in the late 80s. That is a very interesting statement, a quote from John Hagee. Well, let's take a moment and wrap up this interview by encouraging our listeners to be careful when it comes to high-profile teachers, just because they're popular does not mean that they handle the Bible correctly when they're teaching. And I would say John Hagee is just one example. Would you agree? That's true. He has a church of 18,000 members or so there in San Antonio. He has a strong presence on television, radio, and the Internet. 
He's impacting millions of people every year. He's written many books. He's charismatic, persuasive, and influential, but he has connections with the word faith movement. So he has connections with people like Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Rodney Howard Brown, and many others. And as our listeners may recall, he wrote a book concerning the blood moons and even produced a movie in connection with this theory by him and Mark Biltz and Jonathan Kahn. And here we are four years later, and all of that has proven to be, be false just as we knew it would. So believers need to be much more careful and discerning than they sometimes are and not mistake popularity and prestige and power as indicators that someone can be trusted to handle the Word of God correctly. David, that's a great exhortation. We need to walk circumspect as we listen to any and all prophecy teachers, Bible teachers, and let's include David James and Jimmy DeYoung. Make certain, Bible in hand, as you hear what we have to say, that we are biblical in what we may be teaching. So walk circumspectly. That's what the Lord tells us to do. David, I think this was a great report that you have just given us. You did the research. We were concerned when we read about what Hagee was having to say. I think the body of Christ needed to hear this discussion. Well, thank you for your work. We'll have another conversation next week, David. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll look forward to talking with you again next week. We're going to take a break, and when I come back, I'm going to open the Bible, and we'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend, we had our broadcast partners from around the world. 
They gave us detailed reports, details behind the headlines that normal media does not cover. And these details will help us to understand the times in which we are living, and in particular, the urgency of the moment, as we compare these current events with the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. I want to have a moment and let me give you a prophetic perspective on all of these stories in just a moment. By the way, if you missed any of the reports, you need to go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can listen to all of the reports. And do me a favor, please tell a friend also. They need to know this great insight. That's prophecytoday.com, P-T-R-N, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you'll find all the conversations I had today with my broadcast partners archived and ready for you and your friends to listen to. Now let's think through my prophetic perspective on these reports from our broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman covers the geopolitical events in our world. We focused with his lead story as the United States and Russia racing into northern Syria to set up a military operation. It may be a misunderstanding on what you think the U.S. role in Syria really is just because President Trump actually did pull out of Syria and leave them somewhat of a vacuum, which Russia moved in to fill that vacuum. But Syria is going to be a major player in Bible prophecy. You can look at the book of Daniel, chapter 11 and verse 40. It mentions there the king of the north. Early on in chapter 11, starting in verse 5, you'll see that the geographical location for the king of the north is modern-day Syria. And then in Isaiah, chapter 17, it tells us five different times that Damascus, the capital of Syria today, that Damascus will be totally destroyed. By the way, Syria will make the first move against the Jewish state of Israel in an alignment of nations that will endeavor to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. David Dolan is the man who's been covering the Middle East for over 30 years. He came to our broadcast table to tell us of Hamas, who is threatening to bomb Israel for the next six months. Every day, on a daily basis, they're going to send bombs into Israel, threatening the Israeli people. Hamas, you must remember, is a terrorist organization located in the Gaza Strip. They believe in an armed struggle to take down the Jewish state and replace it with their own Palestinian state called Palestine. Look at Ezekiel chapter 35. It tells us there that the Palestinian people will kill the Jewish people and then steal their land. Malachi chapter 1 talks about the Edomites, or the Palestinian people of today, returning and building, and God says their borders will be the borders of wickedness. Ultimately, the Jewish people will rise up. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, will assist them in eliminating the Palestinian people totally as if they had never been. That's the little book of Obadiah, verses 15 to 18. 
Winky Madai gave us a report on the new cable car to the Temple Mount. This will be an opportunity for Jews around the world to make Aliyah. It'll be very convenient for them to fly, say, from New York City to Ben-Gurion Airport, get on the cable car, and get off the cable car at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. By the way, the Jews are to do that three times a year. It's called Aliyah, when they must go up at the pilgrim feast days to the city of Jerusalem. That would be Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And pretty quickly now, they'll have available a cable car from Ben-Gurion Airport all the way to the Temple Mount. John Rood covers the European Union for us. He's been living in Brussels for the last 30 years. He knows what's going on. And we talked about Prime Minister Netanyahu making a statement that Iran is a threat to the entire world. Not only Israel, but the entire world as well. And the Prime Minister of Israel calling for the world to wake up. Iran is Israel's number one enemy. Ezekiel 38.5 mentions Persia, that's modern-day Iran. Also in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 44, Iran is a threat. As we see the end-time scenario unfolding, they will come together finally with an alignment of nations to endeavor to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. Had the opportunity to talk with our oldest son, Jim Jr. He and his brother, Rick, are on a tour in Israel. They're taking people actually all over Israel, but into Jordan to go to Petra as well. And when I talked with Jim Jr., he was in Jordan on their day when they go to Petra. This is a great tour. Jim and his brother help you to see all the places of ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ and those that have prophetic significance. You need to get excited about coming on a tour with us, but if you can't do that, Jim is writing a brand new book right now on why take a tour to Israel and how to set it up. And then David James and I had a conversation about John Hagee. For a number of years, his ministry has been controversial because he said that Jews do not receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in order to go to heaven. He believes in a dual covenant theology. Well, his ministry was quoted by the Jerusalem Post that John Hagee said, we are not trying to convert Jews to Jesus Christ. David James and I talk about John Hagee and his ministry right here on the broadcast this week. Romans 1 says, it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile through Jesus Christ. Well, that's what we talked about with our broadcast partners. And you can tell by the issues we were discussing it was all focused on Bible prophecy, the end-time scenario, and the next event, which will be the rapture of the church. And by the way, that event can happen at any moment. And having said that, there's nothing left for me to say on this broadcast, but let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.